Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Participation and Performance Podcast, hosted by me, Dr. Dan Brown. In this opening episode of the series, I'm joined by Dr. Chris Wagstaff, colleague of mine at the University of Portsmouth in the UK. Chris and I will be discussing the influence of organisational psychology in sport. Chris is the Psychology Pathway Lead and Course Leader for the Sport and Exercise Psychology programmes at the University, as well as a Chartered Psychologist with the British Psychological Society and a Registered Practitioner Psychologist with the Health and Care Professionals Council. Chris is an active researcher and a leading expert in organisational psychology and sport, having published over 50 papers and chapters in the area, including a recent edited book on the organisational psychology of sport. Hi Chris, and welcome to the Participation and Performance Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to come and chat to me today. Before we get into organisational psychology, I'd really like to understand a little bit more about your journey uh, to this point. So you're obviously a lecturer, a researcher and practitioner in sports psychology. What got you interested in sports psychology in the first instance? Uh, I would say I've, I've always been interested in um, both both fields that make up sports psychology. So. I've uh, always participated in and, and loved sport and I've always been fascinated with psychology. Um, and the uh, realisation as an undergraduate student that I could combine those two areas was um, music to my ears, really. I guess my interest in psychology started as a um, as a young boy with quite a morbid fascination with uh, true crime and serial killers. Uh, and that developed into me undertaking, you know, formal educational experiences. So quite a typical journey towards being a, an academic and a practitioner where, I, uh, you know, I took A-levels in sport and psychology and then took a degree that put me on a pathway towards qualification as a practitioner psychologist. Um, yeah, I, that's where where my journey really started. Uh, quite a typical one in terms of formal education and qualification processes in the UK. Um, undergraduate master's and PhD and um, applied qualification that sits alongside that as well. Okay and did you study your undergraduate in psychology specifically or in sports science? In sport and exercise science uh, so when I went through the system uh, many moons ago uh, there were very very few sports psychology courses available I think there was only one in the UK at the time uh, and so I elected to do sport and exercise science um, and you know, as with most sport and exercise science degrees are currently, you can shape your degree as you as you see fit. And uh, during that undergraduate, I increasingly selected um, units that were related to sports psychology. Um, then my master's degree was in sports psychology, and so was my PhD. Okay, and you mentioned there that you were playing sport at the time. Did you find yourself using or sort of drawing on sort of the psychology content that you were learning about in your in your own participation? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, things that helped me um, in particular were things like uh, injury rehabilitation, adherence to protocols on that front, um, motivational aspects, stress management. But uh, I guess increasingly throughout my studies I became a real irritant towards teammates sport my sport typically was rugby <laughs> and so increasingly I, I remember becoming captain of uh, my rugby team uh, my club rugby team in my early 20s and um, yeah all my friends just found me a complete irritant when I was trying to drip feed sports psychology content <laughs> into pre-match talks and reflections and 
performance analysis. Um, so yeah, I, I always sort of crossed over into my personal life with some of the things I was studying. Okay, really interesting there. Um, I guess this podcast's all about organisational psychology. In a nutshell, what would you? How would you describe this? What is organisational psychology? Yeah, it, in essence, it's a subfield of sports psychology, um, uh, and it's it's typically oriented towards individual behaviour and social processes in sport organisations. And the the main thrust of the research in this area and and its application is about trying to optimise the experiences of individuals, teams, and sport organisations. Um, Sport is inherently, by its definition, it's it's organised, uh, and what that means is that it it's typically um, undertaken within groups or teams, um, and, and those teams are usually part of a bigger organisation, uh, such as a, a sports club. You know, you might have one age group team within a sports organization but other sports organizations could be national governing bodies or professional societies regulatory bodies um and so that's i guess the organizational part we uh, engage in sport in organizations and so organizational sports psychology is about trying to optimize people's experiences within those organizations but i mentioned a minute ago something that might seem a little bit odd um, that the study of organisational psychology can occur at individual group and team, uh, group or team and organisational levels. And that's a little bit strange for some people to get their head around initially when they're studying this area for the first time. But if we break up organisational sports psychology into its component parts, yes, there's the sport part, there's the organisational part that I've already mentioned, but organisations don't behave, people do. Uh, and so we need some psychological element there uh, to better understand people's experiences of and behaviour in those environments. So organisational sports psychology, in a nutshell, is trying to optimise individuals and groups' experiences in the organisational environments in which they operate in sport. Cool. So obviously your own experience playing in teams um, has probably helped shape or lead you kind of down this road of organisational psychology in terms of um, those individuals, your teammates, etc., operating around you as a captain. Um, but what was it or why was it that you ended up specialising specifically in organisational psychology? Yeah, I, I guess I would put this down to two, two reasons. Um, the first, I'm not sure which is the best order to give you this, but the first was um, a little bit chance, a little bit of chance, uh, whereby I interacted with members of staff uh, and PhD students uh, during my undergraduate studies um, who inspired me to, uh, to research and get an interest in organisational stress at the time, which was one of the main lines of inquiry uh, at the beginning of the emergence of this field. And so I was really heavily influenced by uh, two individuals who later became my PhD supervisors, and that was David Fletcher, who was doing his PhD on organisational stress at the time, and his supervisor, Sheldon Hanton, uh, who had um, uh, engaged in some of the re early research with David in, in this area. Um, so I, I had um, exposure to them as an undergraduate, uh, we then developed those lines of inquiry uh, as a group. Um, so that was kind of chance, I guess, my selection of 
um, what is now Cardiff Met um, as, as a place to study and then my exposure to them. And then uh, I would say the second reason why I selected this area of research um, is really the personal re uh, resonance that it has uh, or had at that time as an undergraduate. So you mentioned there my uh, sport experiences. Yeah, really, I'd, I'd, I could see how selection was a really important um, demand for, for athletes and for staff and for people selecting sports teams. I could see how accommodation or long travel to competitions was a, a demand that people face. I could see how leadership or poor facilities were also demands that people can encounter. And so uh, with that resonance to me personally, I could see how this really fitted me. And uh, I could see how, you know, even things like politics in sport, which I had encountered firsthand as well. So it resonated with me personally. I had exposure to people in the field who are doing some really interesting research um, and that's what inspired me to to start working in that area. Cool so you've mentioned there a few of the sort of the stresses that uh, individuals operating within organizations are exposed to so things like travel um, selection and things like this these sorts of issues have persisted in sport for for ages so when did organizational psychology in sport become a thing when did it really emerge within the literature? So typically when people talk about the emergence of organisational psychology, they um, draw on two main quotations. Uh, the first quotation is from 1996 and it's from a really influential textbook by Hardy Jones and Gould. And in the conclusion of their textbook, they uh, said words to the effect of individual athletes don't operate in a vacuum. They encounter a very complex social and interpersonal um, environment and they're dependent upon that environment to and, and engaging with individuals in that environment to flourish you know, words to that effect um, that was the conclusion of their really seminal book on um, the mental approach to sport performance um, and a couple of years later one of those authors Lou Hardy uh, undertook a study with a, a colleague Tim Woodman on the demands that people face in sport organizations or the more specifically the demands associated with their sport organization that they face and so that was a study with uh, british gymnasts in 2001 and so that, that's the kind of research development the second quotation comes from uh, 2002 and it's a paper by again one of those three authors uh, graham jones and in that paper it was a reflection on uh, his experiences as an applied practitioner. And one of the main headline statements in that paper is, you know, over many years of applied practice, my main experiences or the biggest demands that I face as an applied practitioner or those that I deal with uh, with clients relate to what can be termed organisational issues. And those are the organisational stresses that had sort of been studied around that time. So those two main quotations the first study in 2001 on organizational stressors that was i guess the early foundation um of the explicit references to organizational issues or stressors um but some of the foundations which or some of the work that lay the foundations for those studies came from um an acknowledgement of cultural issues in sport, which can be dated back probably to the 
80s with explicit references to this sort of stuff. Uh, team dynamics, group dynamics research, which has been um, fairly steady and healthy uh, in its existence in sports studies since the 70s. And so there's different lines of inquiry that have really fed into that early emergence around the early 2000s. From that initial foundation, there were follow-up papers on organizational stresses, those demands that people face in their sport environments in 2003, 2005, which is where David Fletcher and Sheldon Hampton come on board in this area. And then I guess the next key paper that charts the emergence of this area is a paper that David Fletcher and I wrote um, reflecting on the emergence of organizational psychology, and that was in 2009. So in that paper, we reviewed six lines of inquiry that had emerged to date and really acknowledged that there was more to this area than the demands that people face, those organisational stresses. Um, So we reflected on work by Dan Gould and colleagues about the uh, reasons why people are uh, successful or, or fail at the Olympic Games. The transference between sport and business, um, yeah, uh, organisational citizenship behaviours, which is another line of inquiry. And so around that 2009 period, there's a, a bit, bit of a growth um, acknowledgement. There's different lines of inquiry. And since 2009, in the, in the subsequent decade, the area's really blossomed. There's been um, much more diversity in terms of research and application. There's a continuation of applied practitioners reflecting on their experiences and uh, pointing to the importance of organisational issues, but also cultural awareness, leadership issues, uh, and supporting different people in sport organisations. Uh, and so, yes, yeah, so the early foundations around 2000, drawing on work that get, goes back to the 70s, and then since 2009 and a a, uh, more of a sort of taking stock um, paper, um, there's been a a huge investment in awareness or or interest from researchers and practitioners. You've spoken there quite a lot about the emergence of organisational psychology, obviously from a research perspective. and, And towards the end of what you were saying there, you mentioned about practitioners perhaps reflecting a little bit more now uh, on their experiences of organizational stresses and things like that. During this time when it was emerging in research, was there a narrative around organizational psychology or the pressures and demands within practice as well? Or is it something that's come much more recently? So the first paper that really referred to some of these um, concepts or issues was the 2003 paper by Graham Jones, and that was his reflection on providing support in both sport and in business. And I guess there's been intermittent uh, practitioner reflections since then. Um, some of those practitioners refer to organisational issues or organisational concepts specifically. Some just acknowledge the importance of the organisational environment. So a, a really nice paper from a couple of years ago um, uh, by Carson Carson Larson, um, who's an applied practitioner. He reflected, the title of his paper was um, Don't Bring a Knife to a Gunfight. Yeah, and in that paper, he reflected on his experiences of going and working in applied practice and the fact that his training in, which was uh, training in typically a, a, the application of mental skills training uh, or psychological skills 
just really didn't prepare him for the reality of working in elite sport. Um, and, you know, what he needed uh, an awareness of was some of the political issues, some of the conflict, some of the different stakeholder groups and the, the dynamics of the sport organisation and working with different stakeholders, different social agents. Um, and, you know, the paper speaks to an, an unawareness of those uh, competencies uh, or the need for those competencies. This clearly, um, this is clearly an important area of research, and also really important to to practice. Um, and you've mentioned there how, as well, in the more recent years, this sort of field has really grown uh, and sort of blossomed. What would you say are sort of the current and emerging trends within this area at the moment? Yeah, so a couple of years ago, um, myself and my PhD student Rebecca Lana uh, wrote a book chapter, which reflect again took stock of the literature that was emerging uh, relating to organisational sports psychology. And we categorised all the different research into four main overarching areas or lines of inquiry. As so the first of those was attitudes and emotions. Um, what attitudes do people have to their day-to-day experiences in sport organisations, to their organisation? How committed are they? How engaged are they? What identity do they feel or perceive to a sport organisation? Uh, how do people manage their emotions in those environments? How are emotions uh, transferred from one stakeholder group to another, perhaps from a leader to followers, from a chief executive to managers and on to athletes, between support staff and athletes and coaches? Uh, and then uh, the second line of inquiry is stress and well-being. So I mentioned earlier uh, about organisational stresses, and that's been a, a really persistent and and prevalent area of research within organizational psychology. So researchers are continuing to understand the types of stresses that people experience, their responses to them, and how we can provide interventions to reduce those stresses, but also equip people with coping strategies or thinking styles um, when they do encounter those demands. So that's uh, organizational stress in terms of the well-being component. I guess it's trying to look at stress from a different perspective or from the if you consider it as two sides of a coin. If you think about the demands or the stresses or the hassles that people have on one side of the coin and then try and think about this from the other side of the coin, perhaps we need to change the narrative and, and not always look at what um, demands people face, but what supports and environmental facilitators we can generate or create to enhance people's experiences. So it's almost like a, a pathology versus po- positive psychology perspective there. So that's stress and well-being, the second line of inquiry. Uh, the third line of inquiry is about um, individuals' behaviours in sport organisations. There's been lines of uh, research emerge in the last few years which are really interesting relating to pro-social, antisocial or deviant behaviour of individuals socialization processes how we can optimize those because we know that increasingly people have a low uh, commitment to their sport organizations and transfer between organizations how can we speed up their socialization into a culture that they enter into perhaps they're crossing national or uh, boundaries so we might have cultural or language uh, considerations for optimizing that process um other types of behavior that are important are leadership and management. So leadership and management are very 
big areas of research that have existed within sports psychology and outside of sports psychology for many years. But the leadership structure of sport organisations, the influence of leader behaviour across the different levels of sport organisations is really important and therefore it speaks nicely to organisational sports psychology. And then the final line of uh, the four lines of inquiry uh, that we talked about a couple of years ago is about environments. So one of the first things that we said in that 2009 paper um, that David Fletcher and I wrote uh, was about the duty of care that individuals in sport organisations have and to, to those who operate within their sphere of influence. And so within this environment line of inquiry, we need to consider things like culture, climatic atmosphere, organisational change, what environments does talent or performance uh, thrive in, um, how can we create environments that are resilient to the challenges within elite and grassroots sport, such as funding, participation. Um, and, and yeah, so talent, talent development, talent identification, perhaps a little bit of a thread there, but really the sort of social and cultural environments in which people operate. So I would say that as topics, uh, th there's a real breadth of, of different lines of inquiry and they tend to be aligned to one of those four different domains. Okay, and I guess my next question was going to be about um, where do you see the field going next? And I kind of guess you've identified like those four main areas of where the research is going. Is there anything um, particularly about the methods that people might want to use or about other bodies of literature, literature that they might want to draw on to help us really progress this field of organisational psychology and sport further? Absolutely. Um, the area at the moment is crying out for intervention research. So it's quite common with new lines of inquiry and lines of research that you undertake exploratory research, then maybe proof of concept research, the development. If you're more of a positivistic researcher, perhaps instrumentation. If you're more of a you know, qualitative researcher, perhaps you're trying to explore different cultural components or social elements. Um, and so there, there is a broad church really within um, methodological considerations, but we really need applied interventions. Um, and they may not just be evaluated for their, uh, their effectiveness, but perhaps process evaluation of the efficacy of interventions. What, not just what seems to work as an outcome, but what went well with the intervention so we can better learn how to support organisations and individuals within them in the future. So it, intervention research is really important. And as I said, there's a, there's a broad church for uh, epistemological and ontological approaches within that. Um, but I would, I would probably pick out two methodological needs as well. Um, we need to consider the multi-layered uh, nature of organisations and the nested nature of individuals within them. So to try and pick that apart a little bit, um, we have different groups. We might call them social agents or stakeholder groups within sport organisations. They might be athletes or athletes and coaches. And then another group might be performance support, so science and medicine practitioners. Then you might have um, administrators or executive board members who also have uh, relationships with managers and coaches um, and so uh, and that's just perhaps at, an, at a senior level within one team 
but typically sport organizations have multiple teams uh, they have academies they have junior sections uh, if you look at a national governing body, they have lots of different sport organisations. So we, we, we see an increasingly tiered or multi-level um, reality. And quite often the research at the moment in, in organisational sports psychology doesn't acknowledge that nested uh, or clustered nature of those individuals. They uh, take a, a broad brush uh, approach to, to studying individuals regardless of the the nested group or the organization in which they're in and that's really important from a, a a rigor and trustworthiness of data perspective when you're doing for example quantitative um, questionnaire studies the second methodological consideration that i think is really important is speaks perhaps more to um, qualitative researchers uh, and increasingly again in in sports psychology uh, generally, there's been a bit of a cultural shift um, where cultural um, praxis and cultural competence is in, is viewed as, as really important. Uh, and I would absolutely agree with that. And if uh, sport organisations are cultural and socially complex and often chaotic, we need to acknowledge that in the research uh, questions that we develop, but also treat that appropriately with appropriate research methods so qualitative research methods such as ethnography action research observation work um, cultural case studies will be really important for looking at some of those knotty problems or the nitty-gritty that um, comes uh, from qualitative research that's very difficult to collect from for example questionnaire studies mm -hmm. so two quite uh, dichotomous research <laughs> needs from methodological perspectives there. Okay, and you've, so you've mentioned this idea around interventions and also this, uh, or the need for intervention research and the nested nature of, of individuals within organisations. Now, obviously, these don't just apply to those people who operate within sports teams or sports organisations. There are other contexts uh, within business domains, obviously, where a lot of this research has sort of come from initially, but also perhaps in military contexts or in emergency services and, and contexts like that where, um, where we operate in nested teams. Do you think that any of the work that we'll do within sport will also be applicable to these other areas too? Yeah, you alluded there to um, industrial and organisational psychology, which is a a division of uh, of psychology in its own right and so some of the themes and some of the approaches that i've talked about today uh have commonality with that other overarching domain of psycho psychology research and practice so there's some links there to industrial and organizational themes uh, and largely the area of application for that work is in the workplace and if you consider sport organisations as a workplace, which they are at the elite level, um, for many different uh, groups of people, we can see a transference of learning there. And perhaps sport organisations offer a really nice contextual domain for transference of knowledge into other workplaces. And so there's the, the clear link there with organisational psychology as a bigger field beyond uh, organisational sports psychology. But I think uh, some of the other areas that you referred to, like the military or emergency services, are also really interesting because um, there is an increasing 
narrative towards considering what we do as sports psychologists as a part of a um, broader field of performance psychology. So uh, there was a white paper by the American Psychological Association, Division 47, a couple of years ago, which really scoped out the type of practice that individuals can undertake under a, a bigger banner of performance psychology. And they, the authors called for sports psychology to be uh, essentially a subfield of performance psychology. And in that paper, again, they were proposing that uh, performance psychologists can work across any high performance domain. Now, the military would be one of those. Uh, business or the workplace would be one. Healthcare and medicine. Education uh, has performative aspects and a requirement to, to demonstrate uh, and execute knowledge, skills and abilities. So there's a nice transference of learning there. And I very strongly believe that we should see ourselves as performance psychologists um, with a specialization in sport. You need to very carefully tailor any advice or theory or research that has been done in one of those performance domains when trying to apply it in another area. So you can't take sports psychology uh, organizational stresses and assume that they will be the same in the military context. But there might be some commonalities, in particular, between leadership approaches, for example. And so there's definitely opportunities for transference of knowledge. And I see that under a bigger umbrella approach of, of where we need to go in the future. And, and that's to equip ourselves with competencies as performance psychologists. And then we can operate in different performance domains if we have the competency developed and if we tailor what we provide to those those contexts. Okay, so the last part um, of what you were saying there was about being a performance psychologist and, uh, in essence, being a, a practitioner. And I'll be really interested in these last sort of parts of the of the discussion, really, to to ask you a bit more about your your experience as a practitioner, and particularly, really, whether the research work that you do has helped inform the practice that you the practices that you use with with teams or athletes or organisations. It, it has immensely. Um, my training really as an applied practitioner and my educational experiences in terms of formal uh, degrees was all about psychological skills um, really that it was it was founded upon cognitive behavioral therapy and um, skills and strategies to support people as a mental skills coach essentially uh, there were other areas of novelty, but it, it had a foundation in that area. And when you go out and practice, you realize that, as Carsten Larson wrote really nicely in that paper a couple of years ago, um, you feel as if you're bringing a knife to a gunfight and you feel immensely unprepared for the big, chaotic environment that you go into. Um and I think a lot of neophyte or new practitioners have experienced that um, that realization. So it, it, I, I and many people going through um, applied development or applied work in the last decade have kind of reflected on those experiences. And thankfully now some of these ideas are being drip fed into curricula and um, we're making new or future practitioners better aware of those needs. Um, but in terms of my own practice, it, 
it's very much different to what my training originally was really i i provide some individual level support but i i try where i can to provide group level interventions related to a shared set of values uh, to promote for example social identity um, or leadership across the organization i try and work with different um, with new people in new ways and that's not about providing psychological skills to one individual i i think the over-reliance on psychological skills has really led to a perpetuation of a myth of individualism and that is you know that myth that individual athletes are going to be successful over a long period of time if you provide psychological skills to them but they they don't operate in a vacuum they're reliant on support networks inside and outside of their organization so you can work with them as an applied practitioner you can work with their performance support their coaches their managers uh, their entourage their agents all of these people are really important at the elite level for the sustained well-being and performance of athletes but we also need to work with the performance team the team behind the team and and understand what makes them effective and um high performing and so again uh, going back to my own practice i try and work with those different social groups to optimize more than the individual uh, and um, enhance the environment and the different stakeholder groups in any sport organization that i consult with that's great that's really really interesting my last question um, for you we we often have our students very keen on becoming sports psychologists and we often ask them what do they want to do what do they want to become they want to be a sports psychologist if you could offer them one piece of advice what would that be to help them on their journey towards becoming a sports psychologist i think there's a really nice link to the last question i think as a profession or as future practitioners in this field as a profession we risk extinction I, I think if we perpetuate this myth of individualism or we we continue to develop practitioners with a skill set that is only or fundamentally based on psychological skills training we need to develop counseling competence um, to optimize the individual support that we provide so i would advise any aspiring practitioner to undertake counseling qualifications then you can operate within a boundary of practice that is safe and effective uh, at an individual level. I would encourage people to develop team dynamics and social group intervention competence. And that is more than providing workshops on psychological skills and values and leadership. It is working on a day-to-day -day basis with those groups and different uh, groups, those different nested uh, parts of organisations. But I guess... Uh, based on our conversation, it would be wrong with me not to suggest that we need to increasingly diversify our skill set to work at different levels of an organisation. Don't be afraid to um, offer your expertise or skill set to senior leaders within a sport organisation. Um, it can be difficult getting acceptance because of the traditional provision of sports psychology in a science and medicine team that's nested in one little department. But we have a wealth of knowledge uh, from a theoretical perspective and usually practitioners have a, an adaptable skill set to be able to provide interventions at, with new 
groups in new ways in a small organization. So work in new ways with new people. Um, and that's about getting outside of a comfort zone within a sports science and medicine team that just works with individual athletes or, or groups of athletes. And it is about perhaps developing skills as an executive coach or a, a leadership advisor or a cultural advisor with lots of different people in those sport organizations. So, so develop a competence in that area if you're an aspiring practitioner, read outside of sports psychology literature because that knowledge development and competence development is going to better prepare you for the workplace that you're entering into and enable you to be a, a more competent practitioner in those fields um, and therefore prevent what I see as a potential extinction of psychological skills coaching um, because coaches can provide those skills if sports psychologists upskill them you know and, and and if that's all we are or that's all we're known for um you need to diversify your service delivery um as the next generation of practitioner coming on uh, into the, the applied world okay amazing thank you so much for your time today chris thanks very much thank you thank you for joining us today I hope that you join me again next time for the next episode of the Participation and Performance Podcast. This episode was created, presented and produced by Dr. Dan Brown, with production assistance from Tom Langston. The music used in this episode is Unity by Kevin McLeod. All copyright information can be found in the show notes. 